Hello, I'm excited you found your way here. I'm your host, Ashley Rennick, and you're listening to Waldorfy. In each episode, I explore and explain Waldorf education and its anthroposophical roots. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for listening in. In this episode, I'm speaking with guest Faith Collins, author of Joyful Toddlers and Preschoolers, all about supporting children through toddlerhood. This month, we're also doing a huge Patreon drive to increase membership. What's Patreon? Patreon is a platform where you can support creators like myself to create content that you love with a small monthly contribution. There's also bonus content over there in that space that you can't access anywhere else. I talk more about that bonus content in the trailer for this season, which can be found at waldorfie.com forward slash season six trailer. In September, this September, in addition to starting to offer more bonus content to Patreon members, we're also doing some awesome giftaways for randomly selected Patreon supporters. I am gifting away a gift certificate for $100 to my favorite baby carrier company, Sakura Bloom. Sakura Bloom is also offering all Waldorfy listeners free shipping, by the way. Just use the coupon code Waldorfy at checkout. Their site, if you want to check them out, is sakurabloom.com. So again, that $100 Sakura Bloom gift from Waldorfy will be gifted away to a randomly selected Patreon member. Also, you can find all the details about the giftaways for Patreon members at the Patreon site, which is patreon.com forward slash That's also where you can become a member. So other gifts will be gifting away to the Patreon supporters, a $100 gift card to Palumba. Palumba offers the best Waldorf toys, books, and art supplies, a one-year subscription to Sparkle Stories. This is huge. You're going to get to hear me speak more about Palumba, Sparkle Stories, and Sakura Bloom all later in this episode. One Patreon supporter will be selected to receive one place in Megan Wilson's autumn course, Routine, Ritual, Rhythm, and Reverence, Autumn in the Home. We're also gifting three Patreon supporters one-year subscriptions to Toy Making Magic. Have you ever wanted to make your own Waldorf toys? Now you can each month through Jessica's video subscription service. You can create your own Waldorf toys made with love of materials you can choose yourself. So all of these lovely gifts will be gifted again to Patreon supporters in a drawing where we'll be randomly selecting each recipient for each gift will be doing that on October 2nd, 2021, except for the drawing for Megan's course, which we'll be doing on the 25th of September, 2021, since the course starts on September 30th. You can learn more about all the brands I've partnered with for this gift away at the show notes page for this episode, which is waldorfy.com forward slash toddlers. So you'll just want to make sure that you sign up to become a Patreon supporter before the 25th if you're interested in potentially receiving one of these lovely gifts. Also know that you can cancel your Patreon support at any time. Obviously, I would so love for you to be a Patreon supporter forever, but you can cancel your support, be that $1, $3, $5, or $20 pledge in any month. Again, the place to learn about Patreon membership, the giftaways, bonus content, etc. is patreon.com forward slash Waldorfy, and Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Now let me introduce you to my guest, Faith. With more than a dozen years of working with children and families under her belt, Faith Collins has been an early childhood teacher, director of the Rainbow Bridge Lifeways program, and taught adult classes for parents and daycare providers in the U.S., England, and online. She works with individual families both in person and by telephone. She founded Joyful Toddlers in 2010, and since then, over 200 people have taken her popular six-week teleclass, Joyful Days with Toddlers and Preschoolers. In 2013, she was the keynote speaker at the Creating 
Parenting a Joyful Life with Children conference offered by Lifeways North America and her book, Joyful Toddlers and Preschoolers, Create a Life that You and Your Child Both Love, was published in 2017. She lives in Colorado with her husband and daughter and young son and offers outdoor parent-child classes in her beautiful play garden. Hello, Faith. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. I have been wanting to have you on the show for so long since your mom was first on the podcast back in early 2020. She said, you know, actually my daughter's kind of an expert with toddlers and preschoolers. And I said, oh, okay, writing that down, definitely going to come back to that later. So I'm glad to finally have you here. And we're going to be talking about toddlers and preschoolers, that age, you know, coming out of one, definitely the two-year-old year, the three-year-old year, uh, which is, I am experiencing right now, full of amazing joy, adorableness, and also huge struggles and huge challenges and things that you, you know, thought you were prepared for and as a parent or carer, and then are just (laughs) completely not prepared for. So we're going to jump right in here with kind of a conversation about one of the more challenging aspects of having a toddler, which is the extremes. So I don't know if you want to speak to what maybe developmentally you see that toddler going through, the two-year-old, the three-year-old, and why they experience these huge extremes between, you know, feeling happy and beautiful and joyful and then like screaming and losing control and and kind of what's going on there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's often kind of just a lack of information out there that is really toddler appropriate. Like a lot of the the kind of respectful parenting books talk about like, have a discussion with your child and talk about, tell them why you're asking them to do the things you are, or like, you know, do emotion coaching, labeling, you know, all of these, all of these things that work really well with kids after about four or four and a half. And then there's also a lot on like bonding with baby and attachment in the first year, but that kind of one to four year old age, there's just like, you're on your own. And a lot of the things that work really well with toddlers are not necessarily the things that come, you know, kind of naturally to us as parents or as caregivers or as as teachers. And so, but there are things that work. And so I want to share some of those. All of these ideas that I'm going to share today are in my book, which is called Joyful Toddlers and Preschoolers, Create a Life that You and Your Child Both Love. But let me get back to your to your question, Ashley, which is about these extremes, right? The extremes of toddlerhood and why are things so extreme? And I think that, you know, one of the biggest tasks of these toddler years are for children to learn the skill of self-regulation. And self-regulation is, you know, I mean, it's kind of the fancy academic term for self-control. This includes behavioral regulation, right? Like, so impulse control, how to not hit somebody when (laughs) they have something that you want, right? And then there's also emotional regulation, which is both how to calm yourself down when you feel upset, but then also how to kind of amp yourself up when you are doing something that maybe you wouldn't do naturally on your own because someone else is asking you to or um, make something fun, third type is attentional regulation, which is the staying on task. So if you ask a toddler, go get your shoes on, (laughs) sometimes they might just run over and put their shoes on, but maybe more of the time they head over to their shoes, 
and then they get distracted along the way and you come over and they're playing happily or you know some of the time they just ignore you completely and and keep playing so these are all different aspects of self-regulation and i want to talk today a quite a bit about emotional self-regulation these are the extremes that we're often talking about the oh you offer a child, do you want the blue cup or the red cup? And they choose the red cup and you give it to them. And then there's a meltdown because it's not the blue cup. <laughs> right? Oh my God, this is my life right now, babe. You have no idea. <laughs> so this is emotional self-regulation. We can help children um, learn this skill. And we support children in learning this skill in a couple different ways. There's this fantastic researcher. His name is Burton White. And he has spent decades studying this question of what parenting tactics help make children become enjoyable kids. So enjoyable kids are kids who are happy most of the time, who accept setbacks, you know, with equanimity, who can kind of roll with the punches, but they're also interested about the world, but they take direction, like all these things that we wish. And he said that the children who are the happiest are those who spend the least amount of time being unhappy. <laughs> and at first I was like, well, duh. But then I thought, well, no, this isn't what we're doing. Often we kind of start negotiating with kids and discussing and explaining why they can't have what they want or why. And we get so kind of into the negative feelings that we're just prolonging negative feelings. And he says that the kids who spend the least amount of time being unhappy are those kids who learn early the skill of recovering from disappointment. And so that's what I want to talk about at the beginning is this, how do we support children in learning to recover from disappointment? And there are three things we can do. So the first thing is that Burton White observed that children who recover from quickly and easily from disappointment are those who learn early that no means no. You know, easier said than done. <laughs> Because what it requires from us as, as parents and caregivers is consistency. So if we are consistent and if we consistently are consistent in our routines, are consistent in that, you know, if we say, oh, not today, then that means like, nope, time to move on, that that, that can really help children learn to feel that stab of disappointment, but then then move on to something else. Consistent routines also really help children to minimize emotional meltdowns. It helps them develop emotional self-regulation. But then no matter how consistent and loving and consistent and loving and consistent and loving you are, they're going to be disappointed. Young children have big emotions and they don't have the skills yet to modulate their level of arousal. And so what we can do, there are two kind of two steps to helping children learn the skill of recovering from disappointment. And the first step is to help them lower their level of arousal. And so oftentimes our instinct is to explain, explain, explain why it's not reasonable for them to have the one that they asked for or blah, blah, right, whatever it is. Instead, I want to encourage you to take a deep breath and to have a moment of real empathy for your kiddo. And this doesn't mean you have to say, oh, you're upset. You really wanted the blue cup and you're sad. Oftentimes this kind of labeling in early childhood can really just amplify those negative emotions. And sometimes it can also feel judgy. 
right? Like when my husband and I are having an argument and he goes, wow, you're really upset. (laughs) That doesn't feel like he's empathizing with me. So just a moment of real internal empathy can help. And then you're helping them lower their level of arousal. One, One idea is you want to help. We talk about moving on. Getting children into movement can really help them lower their level of arousal. Help them go find something, go look at something, look out the window, step out onto the deck, anything that gets them into movements. One of my favorites is going to get a drink of water. Oh, you're so upset right now. Let's go get a drink of water. So you get them into movement. They're they're goal-oriented, going to get a cup. You fill it together. And then... The second thing that you can do to help them lower their level of arousal has to do with regulating their breathing. So taking a drink of water, you have to regulate your breathing for that. You could have like essential oils, like smelling rosemary oil can be a a nice one for helping children to help lower their level of arousal Um, or sniffing flour. And then instead of focusing on how they're feeling, which is bad, focus on their passion. What do they love about what they wanted? And so in this kind of silly example that I just threw out there with the red cup and the blue cup, (laughs) if they said, you know, they chose the red cup, you give them the red cup, they're crying because they don't have the blue cup. And then you say, oh my gosh, do you, you love blue and red. Oh, if I could have any color that I wanted, I would choose rainbow. And so you're saying yes to, of course, we love different colors. Of course, we love having lots of different things. Of course we love whatever, whatever it is. If, you know, if they want something in the checkout line at the grocery store, you can say, oh my gosh, I wish we could have that too. If you could have as many as you wanted, I'd give one to to grandma. Who would you give one to? So you're saying yes to the desire without saying yes to the actual thing. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. And what I'm hearing as well, since we're talking about kind of lowering that, that arousal, that's so upset is that must be so tied into also how aroused like we are as the parent (laughs) or care or grandparent or teacher. If you are trying to help that toddler and I'm just thinking of myself, I work, that's something that I generally tend like in normal interactions with my husband. I just kind of get, ah, you know, I'm very, I don't know, um, animated (laughs) and like, yeah, exactly. So it's very hard with my toddler. I really try to stay calm in these moments, but obvious, it would seem fairly obvious to me that if I get very like aroused and worked up in these moments, then also my toddler is going to be as well. Yeah. And right. And when, you know, I mean, none of us like it when we're upset, if enough, if the other person is like rolling their eyes and sighing and kind of barely tolerating us. (laughs) So if we want to help children learn the skill of managing their emotions, we can give them, we can, we can support them in this. And part of that is, you know, everyone wants to be with people who enjoy being with them. And so if we can do our very best to be like, you're an enjoyable person, even though you're having a hard moment, this, this, it makes it an enormous difference in terms of helping kids calm down. The other thing that I'm hearing is in being empathetic, or I heard you say, is that in being empathetic, we have to be careful to not basically be patronizing. I feel like that can happen to me sometimes where I'm trying to, like you said, label all of the what's going on all right. of the Right. And time. we think it's stupid to have a meltdown over the blue cup. 
right? And so that makes it easy to be patronizing of like, oh, you're sad, like you poor little thing. <laughs> but again, like it's it's a little, it's a fine line because we don't also want to just expand those negative feelings. So how do you help them get over it? And so the first step is empathy. The second step is helping them lower their level of arousal. And oh, I have one more, one more tip for that. Another thing that I'll often do with kids is I'll help them kind of take a step back from their emotions by um, kind of transferring their feelings into a little doll or a puppet or a stuffed animal and be like, oh, you want to go outside, but it's dinner time, right? Like, or we're almost ready for dinner. You know who else wants to go outside? Bunny wants to go out. And then I'll take like a, the little bunny stuffy and I'll be like, boo-hoo-hoo, I want to go outside right now, boo-hoo-hoo. And then I'll often pretend lecture bunny, be like, now bunny, you know, it's almost dinner time and it's not time. And then the bunny will be like, no, boo-hoo-hoo-hoo. And children very frequently are very interested in watching this interaction and their tears will stop and they can, they're interested, right? They've leveled, they're lowering their level of arousal because, because this is interesting. And then I do different things with Bunny. Sometimes I'll, oh, it's okay, Bunny. Let me give you a hug and I bet you'll feel better. And other times I'm like, oh, Bunny, you know, maybe Jennifer can give you a hug <laughs> right? or pass Bunny on to, to, the, to the child and let them comfort Bunny. So there are different ways that we can do. That's a, a really fantastic tool for helping to lower arousal. And then after that arousal has come down enough that it's not full on tantrum land anymore, then what we want to do is to help our children choose to focus on something else. And this is actually a really fantastic skill that will serve them really well throughout their lives. Like, have you heard, Ashley, have you heard of the, the marshmallow experiment? Oh, my sister read that book. I have not. <laughs> I, I, I'm not familiar with the details. You can fill yeah. us in. Yeah. Well, so, so for people who haven't heard of it at all, there is this experiment, slightly controversial these days, but um, they took a bunch of four-year-olds and they put them in a room and there's nothing in the room but a table and a chair and a little plate with a marshmallow on it in the middle of the table. And they tell these kids, you can have this, you can eat this marshmallow whenever you want, but if you can wait for 15 minutes, then you can have two marshmallows. And then they walk out <laughs> and this kid is alone with this marshmallow on the table. And they found out that the kids who were able to wait for the 15 minutes to get the two marshmallows, delayed self-gratification, that decades later, those kids had done better in their careers, were, um, had done better in their relationships, right? Were less likely to be divorced, were less likely to have gone to jail, were less likely to have substance abuse problems. And they tended to do better in many different ways. And so that's one of the things that is so interesting. This, and that's a type of self-regulation is this, is impulse control. And so, but the thing that nobody ever talks about is that how, those kids who were able to wait for 15 minutes, how did they do it? And what they do, it's so interesting. You can watch, if you can go to YouTube and um, search Marshmallow Study, and it is hilarious. And what, because these kids, what they do, the kids who are successful is that they choose to focus on something besides the marshmallow. And so these kids, they're like poking themselves in the face. They're like scratching the table. They're twirling their hair around. They're like, they're doing everything they can to focus on anything except this marshmallow. And um, so this 
This is um, attentional self-regulation. So choosing what to focus on is a, a fantastic tool for kids. It allows them to wait for things. It allows them to be patient. It allows them also to recover from being disappointed about something. And so once we have helped to lower their level of arousal a little bit, we can help them choose to do something else instead. And so one of the things you can do is say, oh, what can we do instead? When you are just starting this, you, the adult, are going to do all the heavy lifting of the what to do instead. Uh, so with your, you know, your kiddo and the, the, the red cup that's not blue, you can say, oh, I have an idea. Let's pretend that our cups are whatever color we want them to be and let's have a toast, right? And you can just have your pretend cup in your pretend in your hand, you know, and cheers. Oh, my cup's blue. This, you know, my cup's orange this time. What color, color is your cup? Cheers. My, right? Like, oh, my plate actually just turned, you know, silver. And so you can use imagination to focus, to help them focus on something else instead. And it's not tricking them. It's not distracting them. It's helping them learn to focus on something different. And that is what Burton White, the researcher, found was that the children who spent the least amount of time unhappy were those who were able to choose to focus on something different instead. So when their parent says no, then they feel that stab of disappointment. And then they say, okay, I'll play with this instead. They can learn to choose something different instead, and you can help them learn that. And, you know, like I said, at the beginning, you're going to be doing all of the fun <laughs> in changing the direction of the, of the attention. But as they start getting better at it, you can start saying, what else could we do that's fun too? Or what else can we do? You know, and, and they can look around and choose something or come up with a fun game. And you say, yeah, that's a great idea. And then, um, and then they'll be able to do it soon. They'll start to internalize it and be able to do it on their own without so much cueing from you. Yes. So my next question for you is about these struggles. I mean, we talked about the extremes that toddlers experience, but what would you say are the biggest struggles for the two and three-year-olds really? And then how, you know, can we best support toddlers through those struggles. I mean, and that can be just developmentally, but also life scenarios. And perhaps, you know, these are things that are even avoidable. Like we can set up our lives to not, like I notice, for instance, my toddler, the hardest times of the day are the transition time. So, <laughs> Which is like the um, time of the day. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Like or it can like take so long that it turns into the entire day. So yeah. especially when you're trying to, you know, we try to maintain a fairly consistent rhythm, daily rhythm, which we talked about on this podcast before. If I spend, you know, we try to go to the farm in the morning and I spend 45 minutes trying to get us into the car, <laughs> then our time there is so short. So yeah. So I know, for instance, transitions can be really tough. So what are some of those big struggles for toddlers and what can we do to support them? Yeah, I think I want to I want to stay on this topic of self-regulation for one more minute because this really is the biggest struggle. If children can recover from disappointment, can stay on task when we ask them to stay on task, can resist doing things that they've been asked not to do because they're not safe or because they're not safe for them or for the environment or what you know whatever it is, then then they can be just happy little people. And, and would so you say we could would you say we could use self-regulation and 
self-control and impulse control kind of synonymously in this conversation? Would you yeah. say those well, are kind of all the same thing? Impulse control is a t- is an aspect of self-regulation. Okay. Right? And emotional regulation or recovering from disappointment, that's an aspect of self-regulation. And so these are all kind of facets of the same of the same gem. And you know, when when babies are born, they they can't regulate anything, right? Like we have to regulate everything for them. We have to make sure they're the right temperature and we have to make sure they're in the right position. And we have to make sure they're, you know, like even their, their heartbeats are, and their breathing is irregular. You have a newborn and, but it shows that loving adults, loving consistent adults um, really help them like skin to skin, chest to chest, babies' heartbeats become more regular and their breathing becomes more regular. It's our job to regulate everything for them. And then as they start to get older, they're able to take on more and more. First, they are able to balance their neck and their head, you know, control their bodies, right? The whole first year is really working a lot on on being able to regulate their movements. And then the kind of second year and a half is really learning to regulate emotions. And, And so the thing is, we often have this idea that once children learn to talk, they should be able to respond to reason and to, you know, like they should be able to regulate themselves in these ways. And the the reality is that sometimes they can and sometimes they can't. And so as they start getting bigger and bigger, we allow them to start the internal self-regulation, but we have to be ready to jump in and help them whenever they need help. And so I, I like to think of it as like this kind of limbless gate pattern of where like they they can hold the the baton <laughs> this I'm mixing my metaphors here they can hold the baton when when they are not too tired and not too hungry and not overstimulated right like they can do things sometimes but as soon as it is is clear that they can't do it on their own that we smoothly slide in and help them to follow through with what we've asked. We help them to, you know, touch with gentle hands. We help them. Take the baton for a moment. We take the baton. I like that metaphor a lot. And that the more consistent we can be for them, the easier it is for them to take that baton for more and more of the time. And, you know, when I was thinking about this, it's like, we are actually, we're like the external manifestation of our children's self-control, right? And the more consistent we can be, the easier it is for children to internalize that because that's right. We often want, we want our children to grow up to be people who do what's right, who what feels right. And I think that that, that, that saying, what feels right, the feelings part confuses things and muddles things. Because often I, I end up working with parents who are like, well, I don't want to squash his individuality. Like I want him to do what feels right. But you know, what feels right is actually what was expected of us in early childhood. It's the values that we live, what we find important, what, you know, if it feels right to be, to stand up for others. If we want children to grow up to, to, for that to feel right, then it's important that we embody this in our lives with them when they're young and that we expect it and that we support it. So that's, I think, that we're really laying a foundation now in these early years of what feels right, what will feel right when they are older. So I think that that's one big thing. And one of the things we can do is to really support them in this passing the baton back and forth. And, you know, because often just because a three-year-old is capable of doing something doesn't mean that they can do it on command. (laughs) And I often say five-year-olds 
are capable of doing a lot less than we think they should be able to do because they can do things sometimes, but they can't, it, that doesn't mean they can do it on command. Whereas one-year-olds are often a lot more capable than we give them credit for because we're so used to doing everything for them when they were an infant and they're growing so fast. Yeah. I think of it as any new skill. I, my husband is a, you know, circus, like juggling acrobatic performer. And the first time he learns any new skill, acrobatic skill, it's not like once he's done it once means he can therefore do it again forever, every single time consistently. It's like he'd have to practice a lot of times to be able to make that be consistent and constant and things like we're talking about our life skills. So kids get lots of opportunity to practice, but it, it makes sense the way you're describing it, that it's not like they can just, once they've done it, it's like, okay, now you should have this skill. Right. And know? even if they've done it a dozen times, or yeah. three dozen times, if they, if they can do it when they're fresh in the morning, it doesn't mean that they can do it in the afternoon. And so to us, we have a lot more endurance than ch- young children do. And so we kind of get, can often get frustrated by this, or we know that they can't do it because they're tired, but we're also tired. And so we get frustrated by it. Have you been looking for something specially crafted to entertain and enrich your child's developing mind? Wouldn't it be amazing if this content promoted values like kindness, empathy, and respect to help build a gentler world? Would you love a break but feel a little guilty about turning the TV on? Then you're going to be pretty excited to learn about Sparkle Stories. With Sparkle Stories, your family can enjoy a world of 1,300 plus original audio stories for ages three and up. Sparkle Stories is dedicated to helping the world go a little slower and be a little kinder. Their audio-only approach invites children to adventure, wonder, and dream in a safe and secure way. Audio stories are a low-pressure way to make even the shyest of readers hungry for more adventure and learning. My older son is three and a half, and I love that I can search for stories based on his age or story topic. For him, I love that the stories are recorded slowly for young ears, ensuring maximum comprehension and enjoyment. It's been such a nice way to build a quiet rest time into our active days. I've also gifted Sparkle Stories to my six-year-old niece twice now, and I know she enjoys the longer tales and ongoing series. My favorite thing about Sparkle Stories, it is such a great alternative to the TV. Their audio-only stories spur children to use their imaginations and grow their curiosity compared to image-based entertainment like TV. Especially having our new little one in the house, I love using Sparkle Stories to keep my three-year-old's mind engaged and having fun while I get things done. I've teamed up with Sparkle Stories to offer an extended 30-day free trial so you can enjoy the entire library of Sparkle Stories, over 1,300 original audio stories for ages three and up, and you can trust me, you will enjoy. To sign up, just visit sparklestories.com forward slash sign up and use code WALDORFEE and know that this coupon code is just good through the end of 2021, so don't delay. I just love Sparkle Stories' selection of gentle stories for growing minds. So yeah, we can support our children in learning to learning to be competent. And actually, one of the things I talk about in my book, which I, I think now, this sounds really great, is this idea that we often, that everyone wants to live a life that feels fulfilling. And just because we're one and a half <laughs> doesn't mean that you don't want to also live a life that feels fulfilling. So what does it mean? Like, what is a fulfilling life for a one and a half year old? I've given this actually quite a bit of thought. And my idea that I came up with was, well, we all long to feel connected to others in our lives, to have meaningful relationships and feel feel a sense of connection. And we all long to have a sense of competence that we are good at the things that we're good at and that we're learning new skills. And so this is, we long for competence. And then the third one 
is I think that we also long to contribute to something greater than ourselves. And this is one I think that often gets lost in early childhood because, you know, we see that, that young toddlers often want to help. And we think like, oh, that's so cute. But it's not just cute. It's deeply meaningful. Right? And that if we can set up a life for young children where they feel connected, have meaningful relationships with, with us and, and with others, where they feel competent. They know that they, right, and children gain competence through repetition, repetition, repetition. Then they can do it themselves. They First, they imitate it in their play, and then they begin to be able to do it for real. And then finally, that they are contributing to something greater than themselves. And for the very young child, this this greater than themselves is the family. And so this is why the young toddler wants to, they're like holding on to the bottom of the grocery bag to quote unquote, help you bring the groceries in. (laughs) But they are contributing in a real, in a way, like the groceries have to be brought in. And so if we can work to allow children to contribute in actual meaningful ways, where if you see a child wanting to hold on to the bottom of the grocery bag, that you take a, a, one of the groceries out and give it to them for them to carry in. Oh, we carried these groceries in together. Thank you for your help. And that you can do you know, your household tasks in a way that is is spacious, that has enough attention for your task and your toddler, and that your child can come in and out of your tasks with you. Does it take a lot longer than doing it while they're asleep? Well, yes, it does. (laughs) But if you're waiting till they're asleep, you know, I mean, like, even if it takes you all day, you don't have to do it once they're asleep because you've done it as an enrichment activity as allowing them to help, allowing them to do things that they see you do every day to help sweep the floors, help unload the dishwasher, help wash the pots and pans, help all of these things they can be involved in. And yeah, 18 months, they may not be very competent, but if they start at 18 months by 30 months, they can really, they can really do it. Whereas, or if you start at 30 months, then by the time they're three and a half, they can really do it. Right. Whereas if you kind of wait until they're seven, to expect them to to help with the running of the family, then often they've lost interest by then. So I think that that is something that we can really do to set up a life that feels meaningful for young children in these with these three these three ways. Yes, that's one of the things that I mean. I experienced the Waldorf approach because I went to a Waldorf school uh, as a kid. Oh, you know, my nice. mom was yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, my mom was kind of into that kind of thing, but also seeing it now with my son, I feel like there's so much kind of, especially with social media, like bombarded at us, like you need to buy this to entertain your child and like teach them. And all of these activities that you're talking about are so, like you're saying, satisfying for the young child and Mm -hmm. also educational at the end of the day. I mean, even just something like stirring, like counting the times that you're stirring, um, they're so, they're practical life skills, but they also set that young child up for like with my son we've never done we've never been like counting or flashcards or numbers or whatever but he can count fairly high just from the things in daily life that we encounter that he's sees us counting and that we need to count to put something together or to measure out you know how many cups are we putting in to make this you know muffin recipe or whatever so i think that i mean for you and i we have that for people that are looking into the waldorf approach and especially are going, oh, there's this delayed implementation of traditional academic learning, which is something we're talking about quite a bit in this season of Waldorf for birth through age seven, um, where at that first grade, you get introduced to letters and reading and writing in more traditional 
uh, math and a more traditional approach to learning mm-hmm. it. And just for those parents who are like, oh, I don't know like how that works or feeling like, well, is that okay? When you are approaching it in the home or as we're going to talk about um, in a home-like care situation, they are getting these things. They're just not getting yep. them in a traditional way. Um, and it's very natural. I mean, then when my son, he goes and applies that, for instance, counting, he's out now, this has been a thing for him this week. He now wants to count everything. And I've never <laughs> been like, okay, we're going to learn counting now. He's three. He just turned three um, a couple weeks ago. So that kind of just came out of nowhere. And I've never like done anything to push or promote that at all. He just, it's just a point yeah. of interest right now. And it's just from like the practical things that you know, we need, we made a recipe uh, salad today with strawberries and cucumbers. And how many strawberries are we going to put in? Well, the recipe called for about, you know, 10 to 12 for how many portions we need. So we're moving them from the basket into the bowl. And and he's so into that. So I just wanted yeah. to mention that for parents who are like, I, I feel like I get that a lot with uh, that, this early approach to Waldorf, which is, you know, oh, if you're, you know, interested in Waldorf education, like where do the, where do those like things come in? And, and that's one of those areas where, when you're doing those skills. And mm-hmm. for me as a stay at home parent, I am so much less drained by my toddler when he's engaged in these activities with me, because I don't have to spend extra energy outside of doing the household tasks, like then also entertaining him. And his expectation is also that I'm not going to entertain him all the time as well, which is super helpful. And then he has turned from that, he's turned into, he's really gotten into playing by himself kind of independently more recently, which is helpful. um, if, If people are listening and they're like, yeah, my kid would never let me do housework while they played independently. I've tried it and it doesn't work. Or my kid, I could never get housework done with my kid participating, right? Either of those thoughts. I have a whole section in my book on how do you set yourself up for success with involving toddlers in your household tasks and how do you set yourself up for success for promoting independent play. And this housework is like, it's a little bit of a a secret magic weapon, (laughs) not a weapon, but tool, secret magical tool for for doing this. Because when we can do these household tasks in this this spacious way that there's room for kids to be involved if they want to be involved, but then it's not like this is the activity, we're doing this, stay on task, stay on task, right? They can come in and they can go out. And when they go out, we keep doing our tasks. We don't speed up to double time to try and get as much done as we can before they notice, because guess what? They'll notice, right? Instead, we keep doing it in the slow, spacious way. And that allows us to kind of disappear. If we are physically busy, but emotionally available, then children can settle into their independent play for longer and longer periods of time. And they can hear us kind of clattering around in the background. Maybe we're humming a little tune. They don't have to look up to make sure that we're still there. (laughs) They, They can hear it in the background and so they can go into their play. And then when they need check in time, 
they come running over and guess what? Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Here's a sponge. Bring your learning tower over and here's a sponge for you and that they can flash around and help with what you're doing. Or here's a, you know, here's a knife and I'm chopping vegetables. And even three-year-olds can use, you, I mean, you can give them a table knife if you want, or you can teach them to use, certainly three-year-olds can use sharp knives if they are, if you teach them how and you supervise them and it becomes something that you you know, develop trust over over time with them. So yeah, you can absolutely, and then they can be with you and you're telling stories, you're singing little songs together, you're counting each of the pieces that you chop, you're engaged with them. And then when they're done, they can wander off and you become kind of invisible again. So yeah, you can do this and it takes a lot longer, but you don't have to do the, those things and enrichment activities for your kids because those are the enrichment activities. Totally. In this season, I feel like we keep coming back to this idea of warmth and security in the world of your littlest ones and toddlers too. For me, the focus on creating this feels overwhelming at times, especially having just had my second baby and so much of my time is filled by meeting the needs of my three-year-old. Never have I felt I'm doing more for my baby than when I'm wearing him close, which is why I'd love to tell you all about my favorite baby carriers from Sakura Bloom. Sakura Bloom crafts the coziest baby carriers from the finest natural materials in their Southern California workshop. They offer three distinct carrier styles available in an array of woven textiles from snuggly bamboo to tumble dry linens and artisan dyed silks. You're sure to find a beautiful minimal carrier to meet all of your baby's developmental seasons. My favorite carrier for my three-month-old is the Scout. I have a gorgeous linen one, and I just love how minimal it is. It's the only carrier I can comfortably do all the things in. Weeding in the garden, dishes, I even sit at the dinner table and eat with him in it. Nothing hot, of course. Like all babies, my three-month-old has his own unique personality and needs. This little guy gets a little upset belly just about daily, and nothing settles him down like being upright and on me. His favorite carrier to ride around in? Sakura Bloom's stunning ring sling. It took me a minute to figure it out, but I'm so glad I did. Not only does my son love being in it, but I can't tell you how much it means to me, a new mom, to wear something so beautiful. There is nothing like feeling like a hot mess and having that piece that you can put on that makes you feel amazing, and that is what my Sakura Bloom carriers have done for me. You can shop Sakura Bloom's three carrier styles in a variety of colorways and textiles at their website, sakurabloom.com. Plus, be sure to use the coupon code WALDERV at checkout to receive free shipping on your order. Their website is S-A-K-U-R-A-B-L-O-O-M.com. That's Sakura Bloom, shouldering beauty and function. I think most of you know by now how much I truly love all things Waldorf. What can I say? It's what I was fortunate enough to get to experience as a child, and now I'm so enjoying learning more about all of it with you listeners as an adult. You know the Waldorf goodies are beautiful, but where do you find that quality selection of Waldorf toys, books, and art supplies? Well, you needn't look any further than Palumba. Palumba, loosely meaning wooden dove, was formed in 2007 to fill the need for the desire to have safe, high-quality, all-natural toys made in the U.S., Palumba's selection of products are carefully chosen to ensure that they're made of wood, wool, silk, and cotton, along with other natural materials. Palumba is also the only retailer that features the complete Camden Rose line. Camden Rose's commitment to durability, beauty, natural, and renewable materials make them the American leader in eco-friendly natural toy and children's furniture design. A handful of items come from a women's cooperative in Peru, while the majority of items are made in the U.S., 
At Palumba, they believe that imaginative, open-ended play with simple toys crafted from beautiful, natural materials offers children warmth and a sense of well-being when discovering their world. If you've listened to this show before or follow on social media, you know that Palumba is my favorite place to get all the quality Waldorf things. I would so love for you to check them out. You can shop their selection of Waldorf toys, books, and art supplies at their website, palumba.com. That's P-A-L-U-M-B-A.com. So I'm wondering, and we've talked, we just touched on it a moment ago. We're talking about doing tasks with toddlers in the home and how great that is we can kind of segue into now, what is, from your perspective, the ideal care situation? We kind of been talking about, well, I have been talking about my scenario being a stay-at-home parent. Um, Mm -hmm. And not all parents are stay-at-home parents, obviously, or carers. Mm -hmm. And what do you think makes an ideal child care uh, arrangement, whether in group care or a, par- a grandparent or, or nanny yeah. or something? Well, you know, the first thing I want to say is I don't think there is one best way. And what is best for one family is not necessarily best for another family. And so kind of how can you tell? And I would really say two things. One is listen to your gut, <laughs> right? And the other thing is get rid of the shoulds. And I think that going into parenting We have a lot of ideas that we had pre-kids of how we want to parent. And then comes this little being with their own, their own temperament, their own opinions, their own needs, right? And that often ends up being different from what we, what we expected. And so like for one easy example, like I intended when my first daughter was born that we would like room in together for at least six months. I couldn't. I couldn't sleep with her in the room <laughs> with me. Like every like babies are pretty noisy sleepers and every time she would grunt and make noises, I would wake up and then I was just exhausted all the time. And so instead of the 6 months to a year that I was planning on it ended up being 6 weeks. And at you know by 7 weeks she was into her own room and we both slept much better from there. So this, I think, also applies to childcare. And we often have this idea like, oh, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom until my kids are five, or I'm going to homeschool, or I'm going to do this or that, or I'm going to send my baby back, you know, um, put my baby into childcare right away and go back to work. So but I want to tell you to, that it's okay to get rid of those shoulds. And I was just having a conversation with a mom the other day. And I think that different kids take different amounts of energy and we also have different amounts of energy to give. And it's not, even if you had this idea that you wanted to be home with your kids, but you find that you're not enjoying it, you know, or that it's not working for you, that you feel frustrated a lot, a lot of the time, that you're not able to be patient, then your child might really thrive going to a play program, even though it wasn't your plan. And I want to give listeners permission to do this. It may be, be, be different. And I think that often, you know, are people who decided they, they really wanted to homeschool, but that, that their ch- child clearly needs a role model that is not them, <laughs> like that is someone else that they can really look up to and follow and be inspired by. And that, that, that this is okay. And I think that what children need, our job to make sure that our children's needs are, are met it's not our job to have to meet all of them ourselves. And so, you know, my my older daughter went to started going to preschool age three. My son, I also have a son who's 15 months right now, and he is just ready to go. 
And I mean, like really ready to go. <laughs> and of course, I was a toddler teacher. I ran drop-off programs for toddlers my, much of my career. So I don't, I don't have this idea of like, oh, children should be home with their parents if they can be. No, this is in what works for each child and what works for you as a parent. And your needs are just as important as anybody else's needs in the family. So, so I want to encourage that. But that being said, there are some things that kids that create quality programs. And those, I think one of the biggest things is continuity of care, right? Like real love relationships between caregivers and children is really important. And one of the ways this happens is through being able to stay with the same caregiver. A lot of child care programs switch caregivers every six months. So do, is there one where your child can develop a relationship with this um, teacher or caregiver and stay and stay with them? Also, continuity of care looks at, you can't have necessarily one caregiver for 12 hours if you work long shifts, but how many different caregivers do they have over the course of a day or the course of a week? And that's something I think really worth looking at um, another thing I think that's really important for um, for kids is time outdoors and access to nature. A lot of childcare programs have fenced-in areas with with a, a combination of concrete and mulch. And it's like, is there actual? Can your child experience grass? Are there ways for them to? Do they go on walks through the neighborhood, or do they? You know, like kind of what ways are there for them to experience nature? Or is that something that you are really going to provide at home? And it's okay if they are having just more of a social experience in their care program. And then another thing is children's environments make a big difference for them. And so is it an environment that feels, you know, overstimulating? Or is it an environment that feels, you know, beautiful and inviting? And it doesn't matter if it's Waldorf or not Waldorf, right? Like that is something that you can, is it a place that feels like, yeah, this is a good place to be. You know, this is a good place. I, I would want to hang out here, right? So those are all some things just to think about when you're looking for, for care programs. Yes. And you, so your training is in toddler and preschool aged care is through LifeWays. Do you want to talk about, we were speaking earlier and you gave such a beautiful depiction of LifeWays. So do you want to kind of speak to LifeWays and what they can offer carers, teachers, and parents through their training and some of which is online, right? Yes, they're they're offering lots of online classes. And then there are also um, in-person trainings that you go usually four times over the course of a year to the training portion. And then you have a mentor who you either meet with or have phone conversations with monthly. And I can't say good enough things about the LifeWays training. But, and so people often say to me, well, what is LifeWays and how is it different? How is it the same and how is it different from Waldorf? So there are lots of similarities and overlap because LifeWays is really Steiner-inspired mixed-age care. And so, whereas Waldorf is Steiner-inspired education. And so this, there's lots of overlap with them because they were both working with the same image of child development and the same view of what young children need. But the ways that they're different, I think one is that Waldorf kindergartens were designed to be enrichment, pro four hour enrichment programs, right? And for children ages three and a half to six and a half. And these enrichment programs have kind of had different pieces added on and added on. And so you know, from the four hours, you have the, the aftercare program and then the after aftercare program and then the before care program. But often there are like four different caregivers throughout that day 
for those kiddos. And there, it's like 12 hours of enrichment, which is a lot. And so Cynthia Aldinger, who formed LifeWays, she said, what would long, what would childcare look like that is nurturing to children and nurturing to caregivers? And one of the big differences that I've seen is that the, the Waldorf kindergarten teacher really works to kind of embody the um, priestess archetype that she's creating this kind of magical experience for the children to float through the day. And the children come in and they float to circle time and then they have, and they have free play and they float through um, the baking and, you know, that there are kind of these, um, she's like creating the experience for the class, but in the life ways model, the caregiver is really streaming the mother archetype. And this is looking at creating a family unit. And the mother, no matter how large her family is, she has a true heart-to-heart relationship with each child, each of her different children. And also in this family archetype, different children can be at different stages of development and have different needs. And the mother can't right and i'm and i'm 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 saying the mother archetype but it doesn't have to be a woman it's you know it's the carer right the caregiver that they can really create a space that meets that meets different children where they are but also the big difference is that the tr- the healthy mother w- looks after her own needs as well whereas the priestess puts her own self kind of away during her magic creation. And whereas the mother is can truly be a true person in this relationship. <laughs> and so how do we, LifeWays is really about like, how do we create a life that we love that's also nurturing to young children? And that's the question. That's the living question. There's also like what feeds us and, um, and how do we bring that in ways that are appropriate for life with young kids? Yeah, that sounds so interesting to me. I would so love to take some courses at LifeWays. I just feel like it would help me in my mothering so much in my in my caring of my little ones, particularly when you're describing navigating different ages at the same time. If yeah. you're a parent or care of multiple children, that can be such a challenge. And just learning skills to navigate that would be really helpful. So yeah. I'm very, I'm really interested now. And, and thing, can I just, another thing that I think is awesome about LifeWays is that really you hit the ground running with practical stuff. Like you leave with a new, new tools in your tool belt of things that you can apply right away. And, you know, you make a puppet and then, and you learn a little puppet show with it and how to do puppets. And then you take it home and you get to use it the next day, or there's a home health section where you learn about, you know, how do we nurture children through illness? And there's like, I mean, they're just, it's like, it's really, it's wonderfully practical. So I highly recommend it. Wonderful. Yeah, totally. I am wondering now if you want to speak a little bit about resources. You mentioned uh, your book, which you want to mention again, and then where people can find that. And then I don't know if you want to mention your website. You have some great resources at your website, including I've noticed that you're reviewing some books over there that I am definitely going to be reading. And then is there somewhere that people can kind of engage with you? Do you have any 
anywhere people can find you on social media. Yeah. So I'm I'm not as technologically active as I have been in the past because I have a 15-month-old <laughs> at home. And so I've been kind of on maternity leave for the last year plus. However, I am... So you can find my website is joyfultoddlers.com. And I have lots of blog archives in almost every... People can write in and ask me questions. And I often will create blog posts out of them. But the other way, if people are want kind of more of me, I do offer phone coaching sessions. And I want to offer your listeners, if you want, you can get a half price coaching session with me. So you can register for it, sign up for this through my website on joyfultoddlers.com and you just click book a call and write in the coupon code Waldorfy. And then I will send you a special link that is a half price link. And so this will get you a 50 minute coaching session. And then if you, you can go on or not go on from there as you wish. So that's something just for your listeners. And you can also, I love having both parents on a call. I can do by phone or by Zoom. And I've also had families band together and I don't mind. I'll charge the same price regardless. So that's a way to make it feel feasible for people as well. So, and then I also offer in-person parent-child classes in that are outdoors in my back garden. So if you live near Arvada, Colorado, then you should look into those. But there's lots of inspiration for, for creating outdoor play spaces in the photos through my play garden promotional materials. And I do have I do have a recommended resources link on my website, but I haven't updated it in a long time. But you know, the good ones, the good ones are good. I love my favorite books. Well, I do love Janet Lansbury. I, I really like her, you know, elevating childcare. Um, she has a book called No Bad Kids, Toddler Discipline Without Shame. Um, the main one of my big differences with De Janet Lansbury is that I incorporate imagination and fun a lot more than she does. Like she tends to be very kind of calm and respectful, which is also is also lovely. But I, I, I like to have more joy in my joyful toddlers. <laughs> right. I think Playful Parenting was a book that I read. And I feel like, was that one of the books that you reviewed on your website? Yeah. And he he actually did wrote a recommendation for my book because I quoted him so often. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was just going to say, I feel like that, you know, you speak about toddlers and the preschool years and he kind of continues that, bringing that in a little bit. Yeah. For, he does the kind of like going on. Ages, right? Yeah. And yeah. So, so I... Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's so interesting that he wrote for your book. That's great. And of yeah, course, and Kim John Payne is a great resource with Simplicity Parenting. And another kind of for all ages, but is a really good one is Susan Stiffelman, Parenting Without Power Struggles. I really like her book. And one of the things that she talks about is kind of maintaining your calm in the face of big emotions. And I I like her her approach to to that. So she's a good a good resource, although she's not toddler specific. That's actually really helpful, Faith, because I feel like I know for myself, you know, we find these resources or maybe you latch onto something kind of in the toddler years, but after that three, four age is come that is kind of coming to an end, I think a lot of us are like, oh, wait a second, and often have more than one child, then it's like, oh wait. I, I got to figure out like what comes next and you kind of feel like a little bit behind. So some of these, like when we're talking about toddlers, it is, I think, helpful to, to hear resources that are kind of yeah. like next steps, you know, and so my that's book, actually really helpful. Uh, my book is really, it's designed kind of for kids ages one to five, but I still use every single technique on my seven and a half year old. 
And they all work like magic when I remember to use them. So yeah, so even, you know, if you're if you're listening right now and you're like, well, but my child is six, is it worth, would this be useful? But it's really about connection. How do we create mutually responsive relationships with our kids? And how do we maintain being responsive to them when wants and needs are suddenly not the same? And how do we give our kids the skills to become responsive to us in return? And so I think that the research on parenting has shown that kids do best when the adults in their lives have high expectations that are paired with high warmth and lovingness. And but often as parents, we don't have high expectations paired with high warmth and lovingness. We kind of flip-flop back and forth. (laughs) We either are being warm and loving or we're setting and maintaining boundaries. And so a Another big piece of my book is about how do you keep that warmth and lovingness high while you're setting and maintaining boundaries and expectations. And that's, there are definitely things we can do. And even though my examples may be for kids ages one to five, those principles are still the same. Yes. Well, I love all of it. I'm so excited to read your book. I'm a big book person. I'm so excited to read your book. And yeah, thank you for all of this, Faith. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. This has been really, really fun. Thank you all so much for listening in. As a reminder, and I mentioned it earlier at the beginning of this episode, you can get free shipping for your order at sakurabloom.com by using the coupon code WALLERFEE at checkout. Know that the show notes and resources page for this episode can be found at waldorfee.com forward slash toddlers. Big thanks to Waldorfee podcast partners Palumba and Sparkle Stories for helping me to bring this content to you. You can shop Palumba's selection of Waldorf toys, books, and art supplies at palumba.com and be sure to visit sparklestories.com forward slash sign up to check out Sparkle Stories. And don't forget to use coupon code Waldorfy there for the special for Waldorfy listeners so that you can get access to an extended 30-day free trial of their incredible selection of original audio stories crafted to entertain and enrich your child's developing mind. A super special thanks to our generous Waldorfy Patreon supporters. You can check out patreon.com forward slash Waldorfy to learn more about becoming a supporter. Another great way to support the show is by writing a review. The best place to do this is Apple Podcasts, although technically you can write reviews on most podcast listening platforms. You can also subscribe to the show. That's the best compliment that you'd like to listen to each and every episode. You can also support by following along on social media. You can find Walderfee at B Walderfee. That's B-E Walderfee on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I am definitely the most active on Instagram. Big thanks again to all of you listening. Be well.